Good morning, everybody. As uh, David said, 2011, <clears throat> many of us are kind of happy to see it go. It was debilitating in many ways, or at the very least, difficult. And 2012, for some of us, when we look forward as much as we can from our human perspective, doesn't look a lot more promising. For many of us, we've been kind of stumbling and groping around in the darkness. We've been looking for a light at the end of the tunnel that seems to go on forever. We feel like a person on the top of a building out on the ledge, and we look to the side and we don't see much room. We look back and we feel the wall right up against us. And then we look down and it seems like that's our only option. For many of us, we've been in need of a lighthouse. We feel the waves kind of crashing around us and we need a solid place on which to stand. A solid place that when we're engulfed and surrounded by trials, by giants, where we're secure, no matter how bad it gets around us. It's helpful for me, at least, to remember that even Jesus struggled with giants. Even though he is and always has been God, fully God, he became fully man on that first Christmas so many years ago. And right before he was about to be crucified in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus wrestled. He wrestled with a giant, such to the point that he cried out to his father and he said, if there's any other way, <laughs> I'm paraphrasing of course, but if there's any other way for you to save humans, if there's any other way to accomplish this, if there's any other way to shatter the padlock that sin has placed around the gates of heaven, please do it that other way. And then he said, Yet not my will, but yours be done. And so my hope this morning as we go through Psalm 13 is that we walk out of here with some tools. We walk out of here with a renewed confidence in the Lord that if he's provided tools for us to endure and persevere through our trial, if he's given us the means to get through our giant, then we can do it one step at a time. The journey of a thousand miles begins with a step. None of us, if we've ever asked our children to mow the lawn, have tossed them a pair of scissors and said, good luck with that. No, we provide them a lawnmower, right? And we teach them how to do it. And so God, in Psalm 13 and throughout Scripture, is giving us tools to make it through our difficult times. My family and I were blessed to be at IHOP earlier in the week with my wife's brother and her two sisters. And we have this, we have this amazing 14-month-old daughter named Madison. And she's really cute, okay? But don't let the cuteness fool you. She, she has this thing, that's her. She has this thing that, that we, we don't know if it's a, a real clinical medical condition, but we call it baby rage. We're not sure if it's because she's the youngest of five, but when she wants to get our attention and the cooing and the cuteness doesn't seem to get it done, well, she, she, she clenches her fists and puts everything her little 20-pound body has in it, and she screams as loud as she can. Now, I'm not going to demonstrate for you right now, but 
needless to say, it's strident, it's cacophonous, it's just overwhelming. And of course, everyone looks. And so we're in IHOP, and this was a day when it was pretty busy. I think it was actually Christmas Day. And yet everyone, it seemed, in the restaurant could hear Madison. So my wife gives me the look, and I say, yes, honey, I will definitely take Madison and walk around with her so you guys can have a peaceful breakfast. So I'm, I'm walking around with Madison and bouncing her around, and, and, you know, I'm kind of running out of things to do with her. And so I decide just to spin with her. And it's a thing we do, we do all the time. Now, Madison, at 14 months, doesn't really understand a lot about what's happening around her in life. She's just gotten past the stage where she realizes now that the other people that she sees are not actually extensions of her own body. And that's why little babies think that they control all of us because, in fact, they really think they can. Um, but we spin, and she understands instinctively that, that something about her environment or situation is unstable. And so every time we spin, even though she giggles after the first few seconds of it, what does she do? She grips onto me. She grabs onto me with all the strength that she has. And when we were in IHOP, I immediately thought, well, isn't that what God wants us to do? When, when, when we can't tell up from down and, and down from up and, and, and we don't know where we're going and, and we feel like someone tossed us in a washing machine without the water or have, have put us in the dryer on, on permanent spin cycle, doesn't God want us to just grab onto him and hold onto him for everything we have? I think so. One other story. When I was driving here last night, actually, on the outside of the windshield... Everything was clean. You know, obviously there wasn't any ice. There hasn't been snow for a while. But on the inside of my windshield, it started to get foggy. And so, of course, I turned on the, you know, defog or defroster, and it, it helped eliminate that. In the past, when cars didn't have that, you would use the specialized tool known as your sleeve, and you would kind of, you know, go, so you can see through the windshield. But again, that fog, I noticed, wasn't on the outside of the windshield. And so for many of us, we're in situations that we haven't caused. We're in situations that are going badly, but it's not necessarily because of a sin we've committed. And so my hope is that in Psalm 13, God is going to give us some tools not to control the situations on the outside of us because we can't control those. But we can control how foggy it gets on the inside, on the inside of our own minds and hearts where we're focusing so much on the trial or the giant that we take our eyes off of our Savior, that we're focusing so much on the things that are going wrong that we miss all of the things in our lives that are going right. And so again, my hope is that when we leave this service, that we'll have some of those tools not to change our situations necessarily, but to clarify our vision and to eliminate some of that fog that we have. I'm 31 years old, and I haven't experienced very much tragedy in my life. And so I'm under no illusion that if I weave together just the right words, and if I, you know, provide just the right illustrations, that everyone's going to walk out of here in 20 minutes, and everything's going to be great. So if, if any of this message turns into a kind of a rah-rah session, uh, or, or a cheerleading time, forgive me. But again, if God's provided us the tools to get through a situation... I believe it's because he intends to bring us through whatever that situation is. And so we jump to Psalm 13. I chose this passage because a few weeks ago I was reading through Psalm 13. It's pretty short, only six verses. And I was reading through it as I was about to fall asleep. And when I got to verses 5 and 6, 
I mean, it's one of the handful of times in my life where a passage of Scripture, it's as if God highlighted it. And I looked over at my wife, Sarah, who was also falling asleep, and I just said, i got to teach on this. God's telling us something. Sarah, I've read Psalm 13 before, and I've just kind of read through it. Okay, you know, I finished a psalm. But it stood out in a different way this time, and I hope that it does that for you as well. So let's jump into it. For the director of music, a psalm of David. David says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I've overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. And so we know from the beginning that this is a psalm of David. And if there's anyone in the Bible besides Jesus who has kind of the street credibility to, to walk us through difficult times, it's David. I mean, e- even at the age of 14 or 15, when Samuel comes to his father's family, and Samuel says, the Lord has chosen the new king. And then um, David's dad brings by all of David's older brothers. And Samuel says, well, it's none of these. Is there anyone else? And it's almost like, um, you know, Jesse goes, oh, oh, yeah, by the way, we do actually have another son. I forgot about him. He's a shepherd out in the field. Let's just bring him in, but it can't be David. I mean, he was overlooked even by his brothers and his dad. And that probably wasn't just a one-time occurrence. David had to deal with that, being the youngest being relegated to the role of shepherd, which was the least desirable role in a family back then. David had to deal with his best friend Jonathan's dad, Saul, eventually pursuing him with the fiercest warriors of Israel trying to kill him. So he had to wrestle with that. David had to deal with being a murderer and an adulterer later in his life and the natural consequences that come with that, even though God forgave him for his sin. The first child he had with Bathsheba died. That little baby didn't do anything wrong. That was David's sin. But that baby died, so David had to deal with that. David had to deal with his son, Absalom, usurping the throne. And also, again, pursuing him and waging war against him. So David knows what it's like to go through hard times. He's been there. And they haven't all turned out well for him. And so as we read this, we see that it's not just the words of a a, a holy giant of the faith, although in many ways David was that, but it's of a real person, a flesh and blood person who approximately 3,000 years ago went through real flesh and blood difficulties like we are, like we have, or like we will. And so he says, how long, Lord? How long is this going to (laughs) last? He probably hasn't had a bad day or a bad week. Probably pushing bad month, bad year, bad decade territory. He says, will you forget me forever? And and when he says, how long will you hide your face from me? In both of those lines, he's actually accusing God. He's not saying, are you going to forget me? He's not saying, are are you going to hide your face from me? He's saying, how long is it going to last 
when you, while you hide your face from me, while you forget me. He's forgotten the promise that God made early on in the Old Testament where he said to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I will not leave you or forsake you. He's forgotten that. And so he's even accusing God here of abandoning him. So he's bold. And I think we can be bold like the, the sermon series through the Psalms last summer. We learned that we can be bold when we come to God. We don't need to sugarcoat it with him. He can take our honesty. And then in verse 2, he says, How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? And as I was reading through that, preparing for this message, it reminded me of a bathtub that's had a lot of people bathe in it and how the water over time gets dirty. Right? We have five little kids at home and there are some times where kind of four or five of them are going to bathe in the same, in the same bath water. And, you know, it's during the summer, let's say, and they've been playing outside and they're in the dirt and they're chasing butterflies and they've got grass stains on their elbows and all of that. And so we, you know, sunblock and all these things. So we dunk them in the water. And, and every now and then I'll look over to Sarah and I'll be like, I can't, it looks like the Ganges in here. I mean, it's dirty. Holy moly. And so we'll drain the water and we'll drain that dirty water out and we'll refill the tub with some fresh water. And now, what David, I think, is going through, he's saying, why all this sorrow in my heart? Every day I have it. When we go through life, friends, you know this, we accumulate dirt. Whether it's because of the sin in our own hearts and the actions and words and thoughts we have. Whether it's just the sin of this world or the sin in other people's hearts from their decisions. We accumulate muck and grime. And if we don't ever release that, if we don't ever pull up on that tab... Well, that's, we're just going to continue to soak in it. And so I feel like once we get down to verses 5 and 6, God's saying, here's some ways to pull the plug and drain that water every now and then. But David hasn't done that quite yet. He hasn't quite gotten there. So he's still kind of stewing in, in his sorrow, in his pity party. And he says, how long? How long must I wrestle? Verse 3, look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And this is the key for us because God's been, David's been wrestling for these first couple of verses. And again, this isn't probably a bad day that he's had. And so when we get to verse 3, there's a bit of a shift here. David turns a corner and he could turn a corner one way and say, look at all I've done for you, God. You haven't delivered me. You haven't, you haven't fixed this. I'm the king. I'll figure out some other way. Or he can do like some of his, his um, followers after him and, and the future kings. They'll go and turn to other gods who can hopefully deliver them. But he doesn't do that. David r- continues to reach out to God for his relief and to God for his rescue. He says, look on me and answer God. Give light to my eyes or I'll sleep in death. He hasn't reached out for sin in this situation. And we have that same opportunity. We can go to the right or to the left when we're struggling. We can reach out for whatever's going to get us through the night, whatever's going to solve our situation now, or we can stick with God. We can stick with Jesus and we can say, you know what, I'm not sure there's any biblical guarantee that this in the short run is going to work out. But I'm going to continue to choose to trust in you, Jesus, because where else am I going to go? All the other idols are but carvings made by humans. You are the living God. 
Verse 4, David says, My enemies will say, I have overcome him. My foes will rejoice when I fall. Now, again, David's been pursued by, by fierce warriors. No, probably none of us are going to have, you know, Navy SEALs or Army Rangers kind of knocking down our door. But we have other giants, don't we? Other giants that are just as doggedly determined. We have giants inside of us, like depression and anxiety fear and stress, uncertainty about the future, and doubt that creeps in, that's just within our own hearts that maybe people can't tell by looking at us when they pass us in the lobby, but we know they're there. And then we also have giants that we can't seem to shake that are on the outside of us. Giants like rebellious children, unwilling or unresponsive spouses who have hurt us deeply. We might have antagonistic neighbors, relatives, or co-workers. We might have failing health, deteriorating relationships, collapsing careers, and a withering standard of living. We've got enemies, those and thousands more that we face. But look at what happens when David gets to verse 5. He says, but I trust in your unfailing love, O God. He's looking at the present. And he's saying, right now, in the midst of all this chaos, the one thing I can control is my choices, is myself, are my thoughts and my attitude. And God, I am going to choose in the now to continue to trust in your unfailing love. I'm going to step out. I've been walking on the bridge of faith for many years. I can't see the bridge anymore. It looks like the next step is going to plunge me into darkness, but I'm going to step today as if the bridge is still there. I can't see you, God, but I'm going to continue to live as if you are real. I'm going to continue to obey you and follow you and worship you. I'm going to give till it hurts, and I'm going to keep pursuing you. That's what David's saying in the present. And so you say, okay, well, great. Yeah, well, how, does you, how do you do that? Well, hold on. we got a couple of more tools in the belt here. He says, my heart rejoices in your salvation. So David's looking ahead to the future a bit. He's looking ahead to that day that God has promised, just like Jesus said about Abraham. He said, Abraham looked ahead to my day and he rejoiced. Abraham didn't get to, you know, physically meet Jesus necessarily during Abraham's lifetime on earth, but he looked ahead to that promise that God the Father had made and he rejoiced in it and was glad. And so that's another tool we have, friends is to look ahead to what God has promised us. And there's this book I actually picked up from the dollar store, right? And it's called God's Promises and Answers. You can get it online or maybe at a dollar store. I I cleaned them out because I give them out to students. But it's filled with Bible verses, but not exactly like a regular Bible where it's, you know, Genesis to Revelation. These are Bible verses grouped by topic. So what to do when you're feeling overwhelmed, what to do when you're, you know, you you have a relationship that's on the rocks, what to do when you have doubt, what to do when you experience fear, and it's got a bunch of verses. Now what's helpful about this is that this is a book that you don't read cover to cover, but you reference it like an encyclopedia. And when you're going through a specific trial or facing a specific giant, you can turn to this and it gives you some verses. But what's also great is that when you read a verse and you say, wow, that verse in, you know, Haggai really helped me. I've never even read that book of the Bible before. Then you can go to your regular Bible 
and read the chapter before and the chapter after and get the full picture of God's hope. So I think what David's doing is he's, he's saying, look ahead to what God has promised us. Look ahead to those promises and cling to them like handholds up the mountain of life. And then I think also he's, there's a bit where he talks about salvation where there's a little bit of heaven for us thrown in there. Where, where God has, has revealed enough about heaven in Scripture for us to get excited about it. It's not just this like, you know, ethereal place that, well, we don't know until we get there. Well, there's a lot that God has revealed about heaven in the Bible. And I think he's revealed that to us to encourage us and to spur us on. To help us to look forward to the fact that someday it's all going to be perfect. That as bad as our time is right now, it's not always going to be this way. And that's the great lie that causes us to do terrible things at times, is we think it's always going to be this bad. And God's like, no, it's not. Not even close. Right? I was reading in a a book on heaven by D.L. Moody this week, and he said, the length the, the length of our time on earth compared to eternity is no greater than a, the drop of dew to the Pacific Ocean. This life is temporary, and when times are going really bad, that's a good thing. That's a thing for us to cling to. And not only is this life temporary, but the life for those who have trusted in Jesus as their Savior, the life that God is preparing for us, it's forever and it's perfect. It's amazing. It's never going to, there's not going to be any betrayal. There's not going to be any cancer. There's not going to be any of those things that wreck our lives. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if the architect of the universe, the architect of life, if the author and perfecter of our faith is designing our eternal dwelling place, that's a pretty good thing. I think I want to soak in that truth for a while. I think I want to go to the Bible Concordance online, type in heaven, type in the kingdom of God, and just read the hundreds of passages of Scripture that God has provided on that topic. Because it's exciting for us. It provides that lighthouse beacon in the distance that we say, God's bringing us to that point. He promises, Jesus promises to come back for us and to bring us where he is. And so let's focus on that. Let's look past the giant that we're facing and have the long view of eternity. And anyway, so I hold up this pamphlet because there's this group called Rose Publishing online that sells all kinds of great pamphlets like this that you can read through in 10 minutes. This particular one's on heaven and it costs like three or four dollars. And you could keep this in the glove box in your car or in your briefcase or at home. You can, you know, put it, you know, in the kitchen or something and just reference it every now and then and get that long view. And finally, I'm running out of time, but I'm actually going to finish. This is the first time in like four years of being able to preach in the adult services that I'm going to get to finish my message. I'm so excited. Um, Yeah, so in verse 6 then, so David's talked in verse 5 about in the present, in the now, I'm going to choose to continue to trust in you, Jesus. I'm going to continue to follow you, Father. I'm going to look ahead to what you've promised for me. I'm going to look ahead and rejoice in what you're preparing for me. And then he says, I will sing to the Lord. Again, present tense. I will celebrate you, God, for your unchanging character, that I'm not going to let the situations of my life make me think that you have somehow changed, make me think that somehow you have deteriorated or your character has eroded. I'm going to continue to sing to you. And how is David going to do that? How is he going to muster up the strength? 
will not sheer willpower alone. He says at the end, I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. He's going to look back to the past and he's going to focus on all that God has brought him through, Goliath and, and war and, and, you know, familial infighting. And he's going to say, if God has brought me through all that, he's going to bring me through this, right? If God is going to, has brought me through all of the difficult trials in my life, isn't he going to help me finish this lap that I'm on? Absolutely he will. And so my encouragement for all of us is, you know, to take some time and kind of reflect on 2011. This is a great time to do that. And talk with family members and, and friends and people in your small group and say, what has God done for us in this past calendar year? And to just type that out or write that down. It might be a paragraph for some of you. You might, oh my goodness, I typed 20 pages. But whatever, just write that stuff down because you might not remember it next year. You might not remember in 2016 what God taught you in October of 2011. But if you write it down, you've got it as a, as a memorial there to the Lord. Just like Jacob built altars of stone. We can have memorials in our own journal to what God has done for us. And when we review them in the future, they can infuse our hearts and our minds with renewed faith in God because we see what he's done for us in the past. Let me close with this. Um, my, those of you who have heard my wife's testimony, whether it was way back in 2001 or just two and a half years ago, you know that when she decided to give her life to Jesus uh, about 12 years ago, her growing up in a Muslim family, her parents disowned her. Her parents chose to just, you know, pretty much act like she was dead. Um, haven't talked to her in 12 years almost, haven't seen her, you know, not allowed her name to be brought up in the house by the other siblings and never met their five grandkids. And, you know, it's been difficult for Sarah. God has really blessed her through this congregation and, and through his word and through um, just his love for her to, to thrive and survive through that 12-year stretch of not being able to go to her mom and, and ask for parenting advice and things like that. But something happened about mm, three days ago, and Sarah's sister, Jasmine, um, unfortunately had to go to the hospital rather quickly. She's okay. But... Sarah took our daughter Jasmine, who's seven years old, down to visit her sister Jasmine. Don't get lost on me. And so they went down to Joliet at the hospital she was in. And, you know, we thought, you know, there's probably a 50-50 chance of Sarah running into her parents. But Sarah said in her amazing dry humor, she goes, well, I'm in a hospital, so if they hurt me, I mean, it's probably the best place I can be. I'm like, Sarah, stop it. Tug on it, you know. And so, sure enough, they ran into each other. And I got a phone call later, and Sarah said, it was great. They were so kind. They were, you know, I had a 45-minute talk with my dad, and he, you know, he was asking us questions about family and homeschooling and, and just all of these things, and we were catching up. It was awkward for me, but he was genuine, and they just absolutely are head over heels for Jasmine, and they can't wait to meet their other four grandkids and they invited us to dinner tonight, Thursday night, if we want to go. And Sarah was like, you know, I'm not sure I'm quite ready for that. I'm like, it's 9.15 p.m. We can be in Mokina by like 10.30. This is great. She's like, slow down, MJ. 
But I share that with you because God has brought us from one part of the lake through quite a storm in the middle part of the lake. And he's brought us to this fantastic port. And I'm probably the only person, married person in the world, who can't wait to get to know his in-laws, right? I'm so excited to start loving on them and to see the next steps God has for our family. But again, the point is, if God has brought us through that storm for this type of port, won't that same God bring all of you in one way, shape, or another through the storm you're going through? Very last story. Um, The song that Brad sang and the band played called Yours by an artist named Stephen Curtis Chapman. He wrote it a few years ago. Unfortunately, because of the death of his five-year-old daughter, Maria, uh, that he and his wife had adopted from China. And you can see how unbelievable she is. And so that song was born out of the pain of him going through a difficult storm. But it was a double-edged sword, because not only did he and his wife and their family have to deal with the death of little Maria, but they had to deal with the fact that she died by getting run over by their 16-year-old son on his way to prom. And so that's serious, right? I mean, that's, <laughs> that blows out of the water any tragedy or difficult time I personally have faced. And so I just want to read to you, though, the verse that Stephen Curtis Chapman could genuinely write right at the end of that song, even though that terrible thing happened to him. He wrote, I've walked the valley of death's shadow, so deep and dark that I could barely breathe. I've had to let go of more than I can bear, and I've questioned everything that I believe. That's the first half of the verse, but for many of us, that's where we are. We're just in that place, questioning everything, wondering if everything we've been taught about Jesus is really true or not. But God brought Stephen Curtis Chapman to a place where he could write the second half of that verse. And it continues, Still, even here, in this gray darkness, a comfort and a hope come breaking through. As I can say in life or death, God, we belong to you. And so he is trusting where that precious little girl of his is right now. He knows that this life that he can see with his physical eyeballs, this isn't all there is. And it comforts him. It's a down coat on a cold day that doesn't raise the temperature on the outside, but it does help him stay warm as he trudges through the barren cold. And so he trusts in that. So my friends, it is my prayer again that as we close this message and as, we, as the band comes back up here, that we'll choose in the middle of our storm to continue to trust in Jesus in the present, that we'll look ahead to all he's promised us, and we'll look back to all he's done for us. And it will give us the strength to keep taking our steps one at a time to follow him. Let's pray. Holy God, I thank you so much that you are the God who transforms Abrams into Abrahams, Sarai's into Sarah's. You transform Saul's into Paul. You help us to become who you made us to be. You take coal and turn it into diamonds. You take slimy caterpillars and turn them into gorgeous butterflies. Thank you, God, that you are transforming us into 
and, and making us to be who you want us to be. And God, I just pray that you would help all of us hang on to you like baby Madison hangs on to her papa. That you would help us, God, not to give up on you. That you would help us not to believe the lie of turning from your path and going down the other paths that are so well lit and that are so alluring and that seem so smooth and straight. God, help us in 2012 recommit our lives to you and trust that you have something amazing in store for us to give us the hindsight, uh, the 2020 vision of hindsight, to look back on all you've done for us and to be amazed and help us, God, to trust in you each day that you are carrying us when we see only one set of footprints. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.